Premium Diesel, Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and hope you're having a good day. And thank you for letting us be part of your day. Well, each day that goes by, more and more field work getting done, a little bit here, a little bit there. And uh, depending on where you are at, uh, you know, maybe a little more than some other places, but other places still well behind and looking at some big challenges ahead. Each day we're going to try to uh, have some planting updates uh, from around the country, different parts of the country, and kind of give you an idea of what's going on in different places. A little bit later on today, we're going to talk with Gene Miller, who farms in that St. Joe, Missouri area. That's been an area hard hit by uh, flooding this spring. Uh, we're going to talk with Gene about uh, how much they've been able to get done so far and where they're at. Also coming up today, we're going to talk trade with Dave Salmon with the American Farm Bureau Federation, but Japan, China, USMCA. I want to get his thoughts on that uh, recent analysis by the uh, ITC on the USMCA deal. And today we're also going to talk with the CEO of the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, Aaron Fitzgerald, will join us, give us an update on what uh, USFRA is doing these days and some of the uh, work that they are involved in, their goals and mission for the future, and uh, just uh, how many groups are involved in the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance these days. So all that coming up a little bit later on in the program. We're going to get an update on the news here in just a moment from Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. But I want to take just a moment um, to talk about something that happened in Springfield, Illinois yesterday. Good friend of mine, good friend of many in agriculture, Jack Block, Illinois farmer, former Illinois Director of Agriculture, and of course former Secretary of Agriculture for uh, President Reagan. Uh, the Illinois Department of Agriculture building has been named after him. Well, yesterday, kind of a follow-up to that, a plaque in his honor uh, was dedicated, and uh, it's in the uh, Illinois Department of Agriculture building. And John was uh, on hand yesterday and talked about being humbled by the ceremony and the honor. Well, I am. I uh, First of all, the building itself. I mean, I haven't served as state director of agriculture, and we started... We got the legislation passed to build this building, and then, then I went to Washington to work for President Reagan, which is terrific, but I never officed in this building. And now they put a plaque up here inside, besides the name on the outside, and it's just, it's just humbling to see this and have my friends come here and kind of cheer me on, and it's, uh, it's wonderful, and I appreciate it so much, and I... I'll do my best to, to, to be worthy of the effort. Agriculture's always been my life, even, even though when I was in the military, I, I, I still always thought about it and cared about it. And having worked in Washington, my job was agriculture. And so I, it's, it's just, it just is what I do and what I care about, is besides family, of course. But uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Former Illinois Director of Agriculture, former Secretary of Agriculture, Jack Block, yesterday in Springfield, Illinois. My thanks to uh, farm broadcaster Mike Perrine for getting us that audio. Uh, Jack Block, a great ambassador for agriculture, and as uh, tell you what, he's been a great friend to me and has really helped my career a lot over the years. I really appreciate all of his um, his great assistance and support. Many years ago, when he was Secretary of Agriculture in the early 80s. Um, I, I took my first international trip with then-Secretary Block. We went to a food and agriculture organization uh, food conference in Rome, and uh, thanks to him and being with him and part of his group, we went to the Vatican. I got to meet Pope John Paul. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience and, and really was a big boost to me early in my farm broadcasting career. And uh, He has helped so many, and a great honor yesterday for uh, Jack Block. All right, let's move on now. Joined now by Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. He's still out in California. Jerry, I know you've uh, covered and uh, been around uh, Jack Block many, many times over the years. Yes, I'm so glad to hear about this honor form. Uh, hearing it on your broadcast is the, is the first I, uh, I know about it. Uh, uh, it's a reminder of how important state agricultural officials are 
Uh, we've got two serving in the current administration, Dorothy, uh, and as the Undersecretary for Farm Production and, and Conservation, and Ted McKinney serving as the Undersecretary for uh, and uh, so it's uh, it's really uh, it's really great to see that the state of Illinois remembers Jack Block after so many years. Yes, it is, and uh, a lot of his friends and a lot, a lot of uh, folks representing Illinois agriculture were on hand for that ceremony yesterday. Well, I mentioned you're still out in California, right? Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm headed home on Wednesday, but I'm taking. Uh, uh, taking a break, uh, eating some seafood in California, and and uh, enjoying seeing California when it's so green. People here have even complained that there's so much rain, or has been so much rain this winter, but we can definitely say the drought out here is over. It'll be interesting to see, because they've gone through these cycles before, and whenever they wind up back in a drought cycle, then the questions are always, why didn't they do more to like build bigger reservoirs or do more in water management to protect them next time uh, a drought comes along? Is, is that conversation taking place out there now or not? Well, you know, I was hearing about it during the drought, uh, but now I'm hearing more about how uh, shocking it was to get so much rain and what a cold winter they had. So I'm afraid uh, that, that I'm not hearing any more co- uh, conversation about reservoirs right now. Yeah, that, we'll probably hear it next time it's dry out there. Uh, meanwhile, of course, Congress still on break, and uh, you'll get back uh, to cover them when they get back. But again, interesting to see what they've heard out in their districts and whether they're ready to move on some kind of disaster aid package. Yeah. Uh, yes. The uh, I am not hearing really anything about what Congress is. Uh, uh, is saying, or what, mem- what their constituents are saying to Congress, uh, I'm certainly aware that all the farm groups are pushing the office of the U.S. Trade Representative to have strong negotiations with, with Japan. Uh, that seems to be the, the uh, uh, biggest uh, news of the week. Um, otherwise, I guess we'll have to wait. The uh, One thing I would report seems to solve any, any partisan in Washington. Now we've had the International Trade Commission report on, on Mexico, uh, but you know we don't seem to see any conversion side on anything. So I'm afraid the battles in Washington will continue to go on. That's right. Okay. Safe travels to you, Jerry, and we'll talk to you when you get back to Washington, okay? All right, Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. He's in California. We're having a little bit of trouble with his cell phone, but, uh, um, yeah, he mentioned that uh, we have that new report out, analysis of USMCA. We'll see if that moves the needle forward or not as uh, things start ramping up uh, to get that moved through Congress. And, of course, ongoing talks with Japan and maybe getting closer to a deal with China. We're going to talk about those issues with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. That's coming up next right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, clean water issues in this country. Let's talk about it with Don Parrish, Senior Director, Regulatory Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation on the clean water rule. What's the next step? This rule, which we believe is more balanced, we believe that it is also legally defensible, We also believe it's going to go to the Supreme Court. So there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, but I hope the uncertainty is now moving back near the center where we can live and operate our farms in ways that we're not in in danger of of running afoul of the law. It is going to take a while. You can expect EPA to spend a lot of quality time between now and the end of this year uh, preparing to finalize a rule that they can support. They've got to flesh out not only the, the decisions they make, but why and the rationale why they made those decisions. I think that is critically important, and that's critically important in, in making sure that it is legally defensible. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
Throughout soybean farming regions, growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide from BASF. They know it's the most flexible and advanced solution of its kind for tough weed control, especially resistant weeds. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee. And this year, you can tap into our expanded season-long Grow Smart Rewards program. Get cash back for making the best agronomic game plan with Ingenia Herbicide and BASF's leading portfolio of soybean solutions. Want stronger performance and profits together with peace of mind? Go to IngeniaHerbicide.com to learn more. Grow Smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. I'm here to tell you that your options for have been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, so we have several things to watch as far as uh, trade is concerned. And joining us now to take a look at those things, Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's your thoughts on this uh, International Trade Commission analysis of USMCA saying it would show slight gains for U.S. ag exports, dairy, poultry, and egg producers getting a, a direct bump Uh do you agree with the analysis? And it kind of a lot of people are are, are kind of calling it, you know, a neutral report or saying it, it kind of shows the deal's not going to make that much of a difference. How do you view uh, what the ITC analysis says? Yeah, I think the ITC analysis uh, was positive overall. Uh, you know, for uh, the new agreement, you know, you have to remember they were working on the changes. This wasn't a report about the entire NAFTA agreement and the new USMCA. It was about the changes. So their challenge, in a sense, was how do you look at that, uh, where you've got mostly tariff-free uh, trade with uh, Mexico and Canada. You know, usually with trade agreements, well, it's all new. The tariffs are coming down. They're, they're projecting what that's going to be. Well, that really wasn't this environment. So for ag, we got some new quota access for dairy and poultry, which they valued at about $435 million a year. But one thing different this time from previous ITC reviews of trade agreements 
and they had a new model and some new research they relied on anyways. So they, they put numbers to rules, meaning that they quantified things like better sanitary standards, the biotech changes, all kinds of other, other rules for ag and throughout other industries that in the past they'd said, well, we can't really quantify rules changes. And we always said, you know, that was too bad because that's a large part of these trade agreements are rules changes, not just the tariffs are simple to quantify. The rules changes are difficult. But they made an attempt here. They added it into the numbers. And so I think they came out with a, you know, overall positive number for ag beyond the exports. They were saying this might be worth over $2 billion a year in added trade of uh, U.S. food and ag exports to Canada and Mexico, again, bringing in all those rules changes and that impact on business. So positive for that. Uh, we'll wait and see kind of the political impact, but it certainly is an argument in favor of moving USMCA forward. Well, it seems like everything is viewed through a political lens these days, and I guess if you're not in favor of the deal or, or are not in favor of uh, maybe the Trump administration, uh, then you view it or portray it as, as a negative. Uh, but if you're in favor of the trade deal and you're in favor of pushing forward this, you're going to view it more positively. I guess that's the way it works these days. But as you said, there are some significant things in there. And this is this report is really part of the process right now to, to kind of get this thing going through Congress. Do you see this report uh, making a difference? Is this a Does this move the needle towards getting it passed, do you think? I think it does, though, on the fact that it did come out in a positive, so that was overall net positive benefit for the economy, uh, would raise our GDP annually by over $68 billion. You can, And it's easy to say, well, in the context of all our economy, but that's a positive. Uh, and again, have to realize exactly what this was trying to do. So that's a positive, and it's a necessary step. This ITC report had to get done before the administration and Congress can work together to move forward to the implementing legislation. And, of course, there's always more steps, um, but really we're at the point there's nothing on a timeline anymore, meaning there's nothing that says in, in so many days something has to happen. Now we're at the negotiating point between administration and congressional leadership. Uh, they decide to move forward on this to a vote. Then there's a few other procedural steps that happen after that. There's something called the Statement of Administrative Action, a few other required reports the administration. They have to go up to the Hill. And then 30 days after that, the implementing bill can go up, and then we really start the, t- the countdown to a vote. So now it's the discussion uh, point. Uh, we're also So we're looking at the obstacles. We got past the ITC report. Where are we now overall? Well, there's the labor issues. Uh, that Mexico had to act on two weeks ago. Their lower house passed their labor bill, and this week their Senate is expected to pass it. So that's something that uh, you know Mexico was obliged to do, and looks like they're well on their way to doing it. So that's another you know box you might check. And then of course there's the over issues uh, many in Congress have brought up about the steel and aluminum tariffs uh, with Canada and Mexico and their impacts on U.S. agriculture and other industries. So again, more issues to work through. But uh, these seem to be taking uh, happening uh, one at a time. Remains to be seen what the president will do with those tariffs. I just get the feeling he's holding on to those and will will take those off uh, when he feels it's the right time to help move this forward. Well, that could well be. There's uh, and again with tariffs, they wind through everything. Uh, we have the tariff issue that's affecting this USMCA. Of course, the tariff issues with China that are ongoing discussion now. And there's tariff issues related to Japan, and those talks have just begun. So that, that seems to be a common thread to every, everything that's going on in trade these days. We're talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, let's talk about these uh, talks with Japan that are ongoing. A lot of people excited about them. Um, are they as positive as uh, we're led to believe? Are we anywhere close to getting a deal done? Or how long might this yeah. uh, play out before we get something done? Well, this is another one of those things that's on multiple tracks. This started off and is current still a full-blown um, free trade agreement negotiation with all the things that go along with that, just like we did at USMCA. But there is a hurry-up provision in it. Both Japan and U.S. have said they wanted to do this in stages. The first stage will be deal with autos and agriculture. So, of course, U.S. Ag has said, you know, we want basically the deal with Japan that we had under the Trans-Pacific Partnership. 
especially since other countries are running ahead of us and getting the benefit of tariff reductions that U.S. ag does not have, and they want this done quickly. And I think Japan is uh, amenable to that as long as they can hear that um, the steel and aluminum tariffs that the U.S. put on them last year can uh, somehow be uh, taken off or dealt with, and that auto tariffs that the president has the authority to impose don't happen. So I think somewhere in there, there's a uh, that would be like called the early deal, then all the other issues that go involved with the trade negotiations, the 20-some other chapters, then could be done with later. So that's kind of where we are with Japan. The Japanese Prime Minister, Abe, is uh, doing Washington this week, and I'm sure this will be on his agenda to be talking about. The talks have formally kicked off. Uh, the Japanese delegation was in Washington last week, and so the talks have begun. Uh, something, as I just described, about autos and ag. You hope that could take place uh, soon and other talks be held for later. But uh, these things, of course, you just have to uh, encourage and urge action. Uh, you have to see how they go. All right. And what's the latest on China? China, again, there's uh, seems to be this pattern of trying to look for deals at the end of months. So the latest we hear, there's ongoing talks. Um, that, those are, I think, continuous looking to some sort of a deal towards the end of May, early June, um, and trying, it seems to be, focusing again on this issue of purchases of ag products and energy products by China, and what's the U.S. going to do with the tariffs? You know, How many tariffs are they going to take off or reduce, and how do those work together? And I think they also want to see to make progress, whether in, a, in an initial deal or later on, on those technology transfer issues, cybersecurity, and all the host of other issues we have with China. So that at least seems to be a track that's being pursued um, uh, right now and would lend itself to something that could be done, we hope, in a matter of a few months. Does the recent WTO ruling in our favor against China impact the talks at all? Well, I think it could be included, certainly. We had this ruling on the administration of tariff rate quotas, where the uh, panel found over there that uh, in the WTO that they just weren't giving fair shake to the agreements they had to let in the amount of U.S. products they said they would. Uh, we had the earlier ruling on the domestic subsidies. So I think these will be part of the talks, whether they'll be included. Uh, China could certainly make announcements and make changes. You know, this is about how they do things. They can change that on their own. Um, but that, would this be part of the negotiation? It certainly could be. Shows why compliance is such a big part of these talks, right? Uh, holding yeah. yes, both sides accountable. Yeah, it is. Enforcement's always a big thing with this. Uh, you have the WTO process, of course, which was a step up from the old GATT process, where you had dispute panels and countries could take action if another country didn't comply with the rules. And that's the same part of this with China. The administration's trying to make sure it has the ability to have effective enforcement. Uh, perhaps using provisions where some tariffs could come back on if the uh, China government didn't comply with everything they agreed to do in any deal. So this is where a lot of that gets uh, gets talked about. And it's the uh, faith that people have agreements that uh, we can count on the certainty of them, that other countries will live up to them. All right, Dave, thanks for the update. Okay, take care. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the CEO of the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. 
Visit fsgoldstandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A defensive tone to corn and soybean futures an hour into the trading day. We've seen mixed activity in the wheats. U.S. corn planting 6% complete as of this week, according to USDA's weekly crop progress report. That's well behind the five-year average of 12%. Some soybean planting being noted in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Arkansas. Nationally, we're at 1% planted on soybeans. One bright spot in the weekly crop progress numbers, the condition of the nation's winter wheat crop increasing two percentage points, now 62% good to excellent. An hour into the trading day, near unchanged in Chicago wheat, July steady at 441 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat, July down two and a half at 415 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat, new crop, September a penny and a quarter higher at 529 and a quarter. In corn, July down three and a half at 360. December down three and a quarter at 379 and a quarter. July soybeans down eight and a half cents, 882 and a quarter. November 902 and a quarter down seven and a half. Cotton activity, July down 94 at 77.53. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, we are 15 to 35 cents higher. April live cattle up 22 at 128.72. Feeder cattle may down 30 at 150.50, but the back months are 45 to 62 cents higher. Maybe the second half of the week before we see cash cattle sales in the central and southern plains. In lean hog futures, June down a dollar at 92.85 per hundred weight. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 53, NASDAQ up 45, S&P up 10, June crude oil up 64 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, wanted to get an update on uh, some of the work being done by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. We're joined now by the CEO of USFRA, Aaron Fitzgerald. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mike. I'm really happy to be on your show. Well, give us an update. Uh, how many groups, how many organizations are involved now in uh, the Farmers and Ranchers Alliance? Yes, yeah, so U.S. Farmers and Ranchers has over 70 different members, um, farmer-based members. And um, in November as well, we just recently changed our governance to include not just our farmer community, but actually um, our food makers. So many of the brands and retailers we're inviting now into our conversation so that we can have a co-creation of, of what does it mean to have the sustainable food systems of the future. And that's uh, more of a di- the direction you're kind of going into or including, is that right, uh, the sustainability issues? Yeah, often, you know, so I think, you know, the reason for the shift a little bit in the governance as well as a recommitment to the vision is often um, there are, you know, what I would call complex conversation of what is the future of our food systems. And when U.S. Farmers and Ranchers was created, uh, many of our farmer groups said, we want a seat at the table. 
And, you know, and maybe I like throwing dinner parties, but, um, you know, it's not just a seat at the table. In order to get people to come, you have to create the scene and the dinner to have people really engage in that dinner conversation um, about the future of food. And who better than our brands and retailers who are really the first point of contact for consumers to really talk about these things. And quite often uh, what we find is that um, these uh, leaders are often just as perplexed as the consumer and really need help and to be educated, have access to our farmers, and really um, work together um, to to not just be on our own having this conversation, but really work with and through the brands. And, um, you know, quite often I think in agriculture we have this phrase like, oh, we're the 1% of people who farm today, and there's these other 99% who just don't get us. But, you know, I said, well, who's, who's really those others? You know, if I think about people who really would have a natural affinity to care about this topic, to learn about it, it's probably our food makers because they care about food. And if you think about that as a consumer marketplace, that's already one out of ten working Americans are somehow connected to agriculture. And we need to do our job to better prepare them and educate them and connect as a, as a starting point. It seems like, it just feels like in the last few years, it's almost become, it feels like an adversarial uh, relationship sometimes between producers and the food companies. Are we uh, going in different directions here? Or uh, So that's why it's so important to have better communication and uh, relationships between the two uh, to be on the same page moving forward. Absolutely. So I think what you're saying is a couple things. One, the consumer trend. Uh, in the last decade, 18% of consumers would consider themselves somehow affini- affiliated with the concept of lifestyle of health and sustainability. And that has grown to 86%. So it should be no surprise that our brands and retailers are kind of saying, well, how do I answer this question of the consumer? And then, um, you know, who better to answer those questions than our farmers? So we need to do a better job about partnering and working with these brands and retailers um, to be able to answer the questions, show and tell. Um, you know, often these conversations are where it's 70 degrees and fluorescent in that boardroom. Well, we need, to, we need to bring a little bit of agriculture into it. We're talking with Aaron Fitzgerald, CEO of the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. Aaron, I think sometimes it feels like uh, these food companies are following whatever uh, the latest trend or whim might be, thinking that's uh, they're going to... If they market a certain way, that's going to gain them more market share. And obviously, that's the business they are in. But sometimes it feels like um, to get that done, they, they're willing to either alienate or try to force production agriculture to go a different direction just to meet what the, that trend might be. Uh, is that a fair uh, concern or assessment that, that, that's out there? And if so, it, it, can that be changed at all? You know, I think that's just the, the reality of marketing and branding. You're all, the, the actual nature of brands is to differentiate. But I also don't think that we have given um, the context and the story of what we are doing. So if the consumer is interested in environmental benefits, we need to make certain that we are consistently telling how we are enabling carbon sequestration through our soils, how we are enabling flyways through, you know, through our green spaces. And we, we need to do a better job of not just saying like, we care about this, we're living it, which is, I think, stewardship, the values and the commitment. We have that as a, as a culture in our farming community. But sustainability is saying, making the economics work day in and day out and demonstrating that continuous improvement. And so we need to do a better job about contextualizing uh, what we're offering and providing um, so that it can, it, it, I do think we have a product that is meeting the consumer questions, but we have not done a very good job of articulating that. What about issues uh, like advertising products as non-GMO or, or, you know, or saying what you don't have, which oftentimes is viewed as a negative connotation on a particular product that would contain a GMO or something in production agriculture? Is that issue being addressed? We're not addressing that issue head-on. In fact, what we're, we're doing is more setting the stage for um, what I would call responsible marketing. Um, so if you do believe in climate um, shocks and weather and all of these great things that are coming in the next decade, 
very similar to how um, advertisers were very quick to create a code of conduct for children's marketing. If you remember, um, anyone who ran an ad at 10 o'clock on Saturdays for children, the next person felt like they had to run another ad at 10.30, right? It created a um, situation where everyone felt that they had to do a level of marketing. Perhaps in the conversation of responsible marketing, we need to do a better job of creating um, codes of conduct of how we communicate with the consumer. And that is one of the topics that we're going to start teeing up to be part of the conversation of sustainability. It's about outcome-based shared benefit related to carbon, soil, water, animal health, and care. Um, We we all agree to that, um, but now we need to do a better job about communicating that. I remember years ago when the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance was started, it it was often said that there needed to be a a common voice, a unified uh, front, presented and agriculture needed to come together to uh, you know to show uh, that you know that they were together and supportive but sometimes even within groups like that you have different uh, agendas or different uh, goals and sometimes that can work in conflict of that how is that working when you bring a, a, such a diverse uh, uh, even though they're ag groups they have different uh, positions and ideas on certain things how's that work bringing them all together and and keeping everybody kind of going in the same direction on the same page well i think that that's our grand challenge of this institution but i will say this um, we have done a digital audit of every single farmer group that is out there communicating and what we find is that they're it's ineffective um, and we can look at um, seven other organizations that i would say typically in social media cause us all consternation and they work together they um, they are very effective whether we agree with their mission driven uh, mindset they do work together even though they are different governance and different institutions and I guess my question for all of our agriculture groups is why can't we be like that and so what we're doing is we're creating we, we like to nickname ourselves the hive for um, agriculture, we can work together. We can have shared walls, just like a beehive. Everyone can have their own unique little cell and institution, but we can be coordinated and, and find strength working together. Our job, our mission, is to lift up and make certain that every consumer understands agriculture first, understands what that, those flyover states are, and understand the amazing people behind uh, you know, agriculture, and then we can start talking about the individual commodity. But if they don't understand what a field of green is, and they, let alone a corn or a soybean or any other products, we're not going to. We, we don't have a pathway to even talk about uh, the different commodities. So education, which was important when the USFRA got started, it's even more important today. I would say. Yeah, and I think part of it is um, the, the majority of what we're trying to do is really get the environmental proof points, um, because these are the the areas of of concern and question. Um, Quite often, we are doing things that are taken for granted in agriculture, and we believe that we need to change the conversation that we are actually a solution um, to one of the greatest challenges that everyone is saying that we have, which is environmental ecosystem services. And just for example, as a consumer, I really get that the, that the oceans are cycling carbon. I get that the oceans are important. Why is it that I don't get that soil is important? You know, we know that our soils are actually stocking carbon right now. 123 billion cars off the year, nearly equivalent for cars being driven for the next 150 years off the road. So, you know, really helping to put some of our um, story in context is our primary focus right now. Well, Aaron, thanks for being with us. Good to hear about the work going on with U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. Uh, It's a very important uh, uh, alliance and very important work that's being done, much needed work that's being done. And uh, look forward to talking with you more in the future about some of these activities, okay? Thank you so much. All right, take care. Aaron Fitzgerald, CEO of the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. Well, we're going to get a planting update, field work update, if you will. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk with Gene Millard. He farms in the St. Joe, Missouri area. We'll see how things are going in that area that's been hard hit uh, this uh, 
uh, spring by some flooding and other issues. We'll talk with Gene, get an update next here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. So you want to stay on top of the week's agriculture news and have it available at your fingertips. Well, tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast. It's 15 minutes of the week's top agriculture stories, published every Saturday and available anytime on iTunes, TuneIn, and Podbean, or by clicking the link on our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com. Tune in to the American Ag Network Week in Review podcast to go more in-depth on the week's top stories. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Well, let's take a look at the recently released Ag Census. Joining us to do that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. I think farmers have an excellent story to tell in terms of uh, they really are the original stewards of the land. And one thing that changed from the 2017 and 2012 census, and this is 2012 was the first time they asked this question, conventional versus conservation versus no-till. Um, in 2012, conventional uh, was at the top, followed by conservation and no-till. In the 2017, um, no-till was the highest, followed by conservation, and then uh, conventional was the lowest. So you're definitely seeing uh, more farms utilize uh, environmentally friendly practices. Uh, additionally, one that was captured was cover crop. Uh, amount of acres uh, planted with cover crops increased by 50%. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion, 
you're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we're starting to see a little more field work getting done. Depending on your area, we're going to start checking around uh, the country. And today we're going to start in St. Joe, Missouri. Gene Miller Farms in that area. Gene, thanks for joining us. When I saw you last month, you you were really dealing with flooding issues. But since then, things have improved somewhat. You've been able to get some field work done, I understand. Yes, Mike, we have. And finally, it seemed like winter would never, ever end. And when you were here in our part of the country, it was definitely uh, concerns about flooding up and down the Missouri River Valley. And uh, that's still a concern, by the way. But those of us uh, out of that flood zone, uh, it finally did dry out a little bit, warmed up. And uh, we went through about a 1,000 gallons of that uh, Ruby Premium Diesel fuel in the last week at our place. So how much have you got done? Well, uh in our particular farm, uh, we went to plan B or C in terms of uh, getting fertilizer on because nothing was done last fall anywhere in the area. Uh, no P&K was applied like normally we would have. There was a zero anhydrous applied last fall, or just next to zero, and we knew there was going to be a major crunch on supply this spring. So we went to plan B and uh, spread a complete dry mix and you know, drug out that field cultivator and worked it in. And uh, so we, we planted our 550 acres of corn in four days uh, and finished up late Saturday night. Wow. Now, you you mentioned uh, the flooding and the, what it's caused. There's still logistical issues in your area, right? Well, yes, tremendous logistical issues. And that's part of the problem. Our fertilizer suppliers just ran out of product. They can't get resupplied. Uh, a lot of the anhydrous ammonia, for example, in our region comes out of Nebraska. Well, the roads are washed out. Interstate 29 is still closed and will be for some weeks, I think, yet to come. Uh, so it, it's just a, a congestion of traffic every place. And so getting, you know, ammonia resupplied back to, you know, the retailers that, you know, utilize their storage facilities. But, you know, just getting resupplied couldn't do it. And then those that went to Plan B like we did, they ran out of dry material. And uh, so they're standing in long truck lines trying to get resupplied with uh, with even dry products they can get back into the warehouses. So it's a logistical nightmare. And I know our local supplier sent me a text picture last night. He was sitting in a truck line somewhere where they're trying to get fertilizer off a barge and, and trying to get it uh, shipped out. So logistics is certainly a, a problem for the inputs for farmers, but it's also a logistical problem for our ethanol plant to get our product out of the plant and delivered to the customer. I was going to ask you about that because you're very much involved with the Golden Triangle uh, ethanol plant. Yeah. Uh, and when I was there last month, uh, you were kind of cut off, uh, surrounded by floodwaters, yep. uh, having a challenge getting ethanol out of there. What is that situation right. now? Well, you know, we were an island there for about three days. Uh, the plant itself never flooded, but access to it did. And it washed out the rail line uh, from St. Joe North uh, to Omaha area, comes west. And it washed out both south and north of us, more uh, severe damage north. And the railroads have been just doing yeoman's work trying to get fill rock and, and riffraff and gravel in there. And there's just fleets of trucks, I think, from a four or five state area in there hauling gravel. Uh, try to get those rail lines back open, but it's still not open. So we had to go to Plan B or C and uh, doing a lot of trucking uh, to try to deliver a product on time to customers that have contracts. And, and we arranged for a transloading agreement uh, where we're hauling product 50 miles into a rail siding of an elevator and uh, loading off a rail, of our trucks into rail cars. And it takes four trucks to fill one car. So it's like eating, uh, you know, soup with a fork. <laughs> it just goes mm -hmm. slow and, and, of course, raises the cost for everybody. 
We're talking with Gene Miller. He farms in the St. Joe, Missouri area. Uh, Gene, talking with folks around you there, how much has been getting done in other areas around there at St. Joe? Well, there's been quite a lot of uh, planting work done here in the last week. Planting guys started at the same time we did or before, and with 16 and 24-year-old planters running, you know, you can cover a lot of territory uh, pretty quick, knocking out a couple hundred acres a day or so. So, uh, you know, the corn planting progress, I think, is caught up to average. Uh, this is about the ideal time for us, actually, to have corn to ground, about the 18th, 20th of April. So uh, I think that's moving along, but, you know, it's been so windy uh, that you can't spray. I mean, we've had 40-mile-an-hour winds Sunday. 20 to 30 mile an hour winds two or three different days and so you just can't get the whole process completed because of weather issues of course all this for your area coming off a very challenging 2018 absolutely we were in a total drought you know, level eight or whatever it was drought area and so it was uh, severe and now we've kind of got recharged in moisture and uh, you know things are looking a little better right now I mean as far as you know, our grass is good for those guys cattle and grazing and hay potential that was so short. Look a little better on the moisture front, and actually uh, wouldn't hurt us if we got a half an inch of rain right now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was hard to imagine you saying that just a few weeks ago. I know. I hate to say that, but it was the case. It is the case. And, uh, you know, rain makes rain, and obviously... Uh, the market thinks we've got too much green anyway, so uh, maybe it'll all just stay dry all over the country. I don't know. Well, hopefully uh, it'll continue uh, on a good path for you here. I'm glad to hear that you've got done as much as you have done, and uh, I know there's still plenty to do and challenges ahead, but it sounds like you've uh, made some real progress here in the last few days. Well, we have. And, you know, one thing about the long winter, uh, the weeds didn't grow either. <laughs> So, you know, the hen bed is at least three weeks behind normal, and uh, so it, uh, it's pretty easy to clean up a field yet, and uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, right into the soybean planting here pretty quick. But we learned last year we don't plant all the beans early because the early beans, uh, historically, you know, supposed to be better, but that didn't work out for us. It's got to rain, you know, in July. Well, we'll check back in with you in a week or two and see how bean planting is going, Okay. Okay, you bet, Mike. Thanks for calling. You have a great day. You too. Thanks. Gene Millard, he farms in that St. Joe, Missouri area. We're going to start checking different parts of the country and get updates uh, here as we go along. Tomorrow, we're going to check in northeast Nebraska. So I hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. 